talking about the Holy Spirit and serving today. If you haven't been with us, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit in, in the different, like who he is and, and what exactly is his role and uh, different aspects and, and, and outcomes of that in our lives. And so today I'm just continuing that series um, as Pastor Brian uh, has asked me to talk about serving. Um, just a little bit about myself, real quick, um, not to promote my own adventure, but it's been just that an adventure over the years. I, I've been, I was trying to figure it out this morning. I, I've been a Christian now for about 26 years, 26 years, which um, to me is, is, is exciting that, that it's been, you know, been that long. But on the other hand, I feel like I'm just a rookie, like I'm just starting out. I'm just fighting. I'm still fighting my will and my heart, and uh, I'm still being trained very much like California girl. You know, like that's me. I see me in her and, uh, and such. And so 26 years, I feel like I should be farther along. You guys have been with the Lord uh, a little while, a couple decades, a few decades. Do you feel that way? Like, man, I should be, I should be, I should be over the things that, that make it difficult for me to serve. You know, I should, I should be farther along uh, in a lot of ways than I am. But Lord willing, you know, he'll continue to work on me and uh, keep um, giving my wife and my kids patience as he does and uh, work those things out and those who know me. But today, it's, it's exciting because I think of, of those 26 years, I feel like 26 out of 26 have been uh, blessed to be a part of, of, of serving. Like, I'm glad it's not 24 out of 26. I'm glad it's not 10 out of 26. And I, I don't mean just like in, in a pastoring role like I have now. I, I, I'm talking about just getting the church uh, and helping set up, you know, or or um, being available for men's studies or, or those kind of things. Again, I'm not, I'm not propping, uh, patting myself on the back, but it's just, it's a blessing to be able to look back and say, wow, you know, even when I didn't even know what I could give to the Lord as I was new in the faith, I didn't know what the calling was in my life, but, at, but I could look back and say 26 out of 26 years, I've been in some role of serving, whether it's been official or not, whether it's been recognized or not, and I could say, wow, I may not have been, my heart may have been, in the wrong place in a lot of those instances, but at least I can say that, that the Lord gripped my heart enough to, to, I guess, open my eyes enough to be able to see clearly that he's worth serving. That's really my point, that there's no better way to spend a life, is there, than to serving Jesus because of what he's done for us. It's a, it's a pretty simple thing. When, when somebody comes up and gives you everything they have and more, and you're humbled before that sacrifice, and you're willing to say, hey, I, I, I want to pay attention to you. I want to, I I'll follow you. I'll, I'll give everything I have for you because of what you've done for me. So I, I'm thankful for that. And so my goal, I don't want to, um, with that being said, I don't want the outcome of this morning to be everybody's motivated and pumped up after a good rally cry to go out and serve somewhere. That's not the point of this. The point is really to focus on the Holy Spirit and how he empowers us to do it well. Because the assumption is this, you guys. If you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, if Jesus has come in, grabbed your heart, Grab the hold of it in such a way where you're like, hey, my life is yours. I'm no, I'm no longer in control here. You're in control of my life. If, if that has happened in your life, then the assumption is you're already serving. You already have that heart because it's a gift from God given to you to not be self-focused. My point isn't to rally cry so much as for you guys to just go out and start serving like crazy where, where all of a sudden we have more help than we need in the church, my, my, my goal this morning is to, is to promote how much Christ has done for us and then let God, as we've been talking in weeks prior, let him dictate where he wants to put us because our hearts are already primed to go when he says, I want you to go here, there, or wherever. Does that make sense? So it's not a rally cry this morning. 
But hopefully through it, you'll be motivated to just ask a simple question. Man, where am I at? Where's my heart at? Am I willing? You know, am I willing? That was the Holy Spirit's role. We're going to go into biblical definition of servant. It's part of our identity, who you are, your identity. Uh, Number three is our general and specific calls to serve. Number four, Bible examples of the Spirit anointing a person for ministry. We're all dependent on the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at a few examples of that in the Word. Number five is wrong reasons for serving. I think it's important to point that out so we don't get caught in those traps that are there for us. And number six, looking at Jesus as the quintessential example then we're just going to respond with worship. So there's the outline for this morning, okay, as we talk, as we discuss these things. That's today's agenda, that we would hear and that we'd respond. Okay, so let's look at the Holy Spirit's role, first of all. Just a summary. Third person of the Holy Trinity, that is Father, Son, and Spirit. Different than the others, right? Spirit, not flesh. Sent to dwell in. uh, To bring remembrance and comfort of God's truth and conviction of sin. And empower God's people for eternal work. For whose glory? His glory. glory. If we're on the right track, what we do, how we live, how we organize our thoughts, how we have the motivation of our heart, it will be for his glory and his glory alone. An example of this, just as a summary umbrella, scripture, Jesus told the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit in Acts 1-8 prior to running off with the marching orders in Matthew 28. Go into all the world, right? Go into all the world. He's like, go. If, if just hearing that first word, go, and, and if you have a heart to serve God, you're like, okay, I'm ready, I'm going. And then, and then he's like, but wait, I have my timing, I have my plan, I have my purposes. So going isn't just the best thing necessarily. Going with God's direction is what's most important. That's what they needed to know, and that's what they need to wait on, because the most essential ingredient to serving God for his glory is the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit. Has to be that, or it will not last. The fruit will not come. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, let's look at First Peter four. So, if you have a Bible, open up to First Peter four, chapter uh, four, verse eight, and we'll go through eleven. You can read along with the screen. I'm out of the New King James. To minister is to serve. And the Spirit enables us to serve with the right end in mind. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Well, the Holy Spirit always knows what to throw in there because of our tendencies, Right? He's like, you know, it'd be enough just to say, be hospitable. But he says, without grumbling or complaining. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we've been receiving what? We received grace in in its various aspects. And we're called, as we've received that as a free gift to us into our lives, into our hearts, the love from the Father, we're called to then give it or serve it. That word minister equals serve. Minister is to serve. It's, it's, we're to give that gift away. You know, we're to give it to each other as good stewards. As good stewards. What's a steward, everybody? What is the role of a steward? Serve a master. Right? You have a master. 
If you're a good steward, you do great things, not for yourself, but for the master. And it's gonna, you're going to see how these things come together as we go through these scriptures. It says, if anyone speaks, for an example, if you've been given a, a word from the Lord, let him speak as the oracles of God. Have confidence in what you've been receiving. Continuing on, if anyone ministers or serves, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So let him do it with the ability which God supplies, not us. Not in your natural abilities. Not in your talents. Not in things you take for granted. Not in the things you operate in naturally. It says let uh, him be glorified as you serve with the ability which God supplies. Now, God knew that we would need wisdom to serve well, right? He knew that we would need comfort in this life of trial and the power to die to ourselves, not being selfish. In order for God to have us be servants to glorify and give attention and honor to, to, to the Father, he knew we needed help. And that's how uh, much we need the Holy Spirit to have anything in our lives come forth worth of value. He knew that we would need wisdom, right? He knew that we would need wisdom. Boy, how many times have you in your life set sail on a journey knowing, I got this. I got this. I know what I'm doing. I've been here before. This is right in my wheelhouse. I'm used to doing this, after all, so I know exactly what I'm doing. And you go and you start only to fall on your face. Not out of worship, just because you stumbled on a big old rock that you didn't see, right? Um, or you're just, you're just confident, and, and you realize after the fact that, man, I didn't even pray about this. I didn't even seek God's wisdom. It was a foregone conclusion that I assumed was right in the, in the, in the scheme of things, and yet found that it wasn't. I need his wisdom. James 1.5, one of my favorite verses, says, if any of you lacks wisdom, which, when do we lack wisdom, everyone? All the time. So the assumption there to me is, all the time, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach. Liberally means more than enough. It's like having a glass half full, God fills it to the brim, and then he keeps pouring more in. It's overflowing. That's the word, liberally. Without reproach means that he doesn't fault you for coming or needing wisdom. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We're trying our whole lives to, to convince people how wise we are and how competent we are. Here God's saying, you're not competent, you need my wisdom, and it's great when you come. I love it, because I have it for you. That's, that's the wisdom we need to serve well, and that, we need comfort along the way. Sometimes it gets really hard to serve. We're let down. We have expectations that aren't met. Um, we're like, wow, I, would, I, I thought this whole thing about marriage is about out-serving each other, and I'm, get, I'm not getting served as, as I wanted to. Or, or I thought I, I would fulfill this, uh, kind of this, I would respond to this request for help, and I thought I would be the focus of everything. It turned out it wasn't about me. Um, and maybe just been let down by God. You just feel let down by God along the journey of serving him. You're like, man, I, I thought giving all my life away would translate into me being happy all the time. And, or, or not suffering. And maybe you're in the middle of that. But he's there to remind you. It's, it's not that he's frustrated. As much as he wants to pour out his comfort upon us. And finally the dunamis power. The power of the Holy Spirit. To die to ourselves. How possible is it to, to serve. Um, in a way. Whatever that is. Without dying to ourselves first. How, how, how possible is it to love your neighbor as yourself. To have that kind of calling on your life. Here's another one. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for her. 
How possible is that to do without dying first? It's impossible, right? It's the Holy Spirit. He, he brings that power to do things that we didn't think we could do. Here's another one. This is a doozy. To serve someone, not just practically like you're going you're gonna to serve like a deacon would serve, but just freeing them from prison of unforgiveness. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you as Christ loved me. Thereby, I'm releasing you. I'm serving you by releasing you with forgiveness that was freely given in my account. I'm now made, found righteous in, in the Lord's sight, something I could never do on my own, and I'm going to serve you by forgiving you of the offenses done to, unto me. That's serving. That's not in of ourselves, right? It's a foregone conclusion. We're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit in those times as we turn to him, spirit, simply spirit, these prayers of just give me the power right now as I'm struggling with these horrible feelings. Will you please come in power and take that from me that I might live in victory and that I might glorify your name in doing so. This is where the power of the Holy Spirit is needed. So, let's go to number two. The biblical definition of servant. It's part of our identity. Some of this is going to be new to you. It, it was for me as I started this journey of kind of realizing this is part of my identity of what it means. It may not uh, come to you as, as expected. Let me just get into it and I'll show you what I mean. John MacArthur wrote something and I want you to listen to this. It says, in addition to the name Christian, the Bible uses a host of other terms to identify the followers of Jesus. Yet the Bible uses one metaphor more frequently than any of these. It is the image of a slave. Though the word slave, which is doulos in Greek, appears 124 times in the original text. It's correctly translated only once in the King James. Most of our modern translations do only slightly better. It almost, almost seems like a conspiracy instead of translating doulos as slave. These translations consistently substitute the word what? Servant in its place. Ironically, the Greek language has at least half a dozen words that can mean servant. The word doulos is not one of them. Whenever it's used, both in the New Testament and in secular Greek language, it always and only means slave. While it's true that the duties of slave and servant may overlap to some degree, there's a key distinction between the two. Get this. Servants are hired. Slaves are owned. Now, you're like, whoa, he's, he's, this is kind of controversial. You're, you're saying that I'm, I'm, my identity is slave, I'm, I, I don't feel comfortable with that. I understand that. There's a couple reasons for that probably. One is slave in the context of our country has nothing but horrible connotations and rightfully so. All right? We're not saying that anything different. But I encourage you, in a study of slavery in, in, in Christ's time, Paul's time, as they're throwing out these words that I'm a slave of Christ, which did often, did Paul, for example. We'll, we'll throw out some references in a second. You can look it up for yourself. But the context here is slavery was so commonplace that to talk about it was not controversial but very illustrative. What I mean by that is this. The very mention of you being a slave, there were certain things that you already knew. One was slaves were owned. Number two was slaves, their lifestyle only depended on one thing, the benevolence or lack thereof of their owner. Now, check this out. The more higher up the position of the slave owner, the greater the lifestyle of the slave. Now, again, it was 
completely looked down upon as property. So it wasn't like they were demanded to be good to you. But if, you're, if your owner was elevated in position, more than likely you had a pretty cush lifestyle. You didn't have to worry about where your food was coming from. You didn't have to worry about shelter. You know, common things. That the poor your slave master, the owner, in the Greek it's called kurios, it means master, um, the greater your lifestyle could be, potentially. Now again, compare the slave owner that comes to our mind with that context, with who Jesus is, as he says, I am your master. No servant or slave is greater than his master, Jesus said. Why? He wasn't pointing out slavery is great. I love it. He was just saying, here's the illustration, guys. I am your slave master, but you as slaves have the highest position. You never have to worry about your life, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. You know, Jesus said a lot about that. Why? Because he was a benevolent master among benevolent masters who laid down his life for the slaves. But the important thing that we glean from this morning, I feel, is the fact that we're so used in our culture of being so self-sufficient and so having things on our terms that we take that into our spiritual walk with Christ. And there we miss a huge, huge key to our identity, which is I have no rights. I was bought with a price, and I, I was ransomed, sons and daughters. But we never separate. Paul at least didn't. Jesus made many references to it. Peter, same thing. John, they're all making references that the best place to be is to be owned by Christ. Because he bought me at such a high price as his own blood. Now, who did not spare his own son? How could he not give us all things? Isn't that wonderful? Our master... There's nobody that beats them at being benevolent. And we've missed it. So think about how you think about your life. Think about your job. Think about your relationships. Think about where you've, you've been called. And think of it in the context of my benevolent, benevolent master who, who can't be beat and sacrificed on behalf of his slaves, us, me. How excited do you get to say, man, own me, Lord. Like, you organize my day. You dictate what I have and what I don't have. You're, whatever I receive from you is ordained through your hand, and I trust you with it. And whatever you give to me, as not only a, you know, at, at, at the highest calling of a slave was to be a good steward. That's where, that's where the references in the New Testament, you'll see Jesus talk about, I'm going away. Or he's talking about the, the master leaves and leaves the hired servants or the slaves in control of his estate. Right? Remember the parable of the talents. It's a perfect example. He leaves, what? Not knowing when he's going to come back, but they're called to be faithful while he's away. And when he comes back and he, and he sees the faithfulness on the part of his slaves, he rewards them or not rewards them in, in some cases. He actually gets angry with them. Why? Because we are so geared in this culture to say I'm self-sufficient. No one tells me ultimately what to do that we carry that into our spiritual life at our own peril. And it, it requires no faith to be independent. And without faith, it's impossible to what? Please God. So we demonstrate our faith in this. We say, Lord, you own me. I'm yours. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to use what you've given me for the benefit of others. I'm going to do it unto you as a good slave would do unto his master. Are you guys all with me? Let's get in some... Um, examples of this. 
scriptures, Matthew 10, 24, Luke 6, 40, all these that are listed up here. You can write them down. You can look at them. They're all, you just look for that in the Greek. If you go on Blue Letter Bible online or you have a Greek uh, uh, definition, reference for you at your disposal, turn to Matthew 25, 21, just to drive this home. Because again, it takes the Holy Spirit to get us to a place where we resign our will to his to the point where he would say, Lord, anything, anywhere, anytime, I'm yours. Matthew 25, 21. Bless you. This is talking about, actually, let's start at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own slaves and delivered his goods to them and to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. You know the story, uh, by and large. They all had their talents. He went away, he comes back, and look what he says. It says, verse in 21, it says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. Doulos. So he was right there. There wasn't any discrepancy in the Greek. Good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in the joy of your Lord. So, every time you think about your life goal, you know, uh, 26 years of walking the Lord, I heard this a lot. One day, I, I, I just, I, I pray that I actually can hear from the words from the Savior himself saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? You too? You guys have walked with the Lord for a while, you just know that's a desire of our heart, and rightfully so. Let me change that. Well done, good and faithful slave. You didn't fight me. You weren't autonomous. You weren't hired. You allowed me to own you. You allowed me to work in your life. You allowed me to use you to bless other people. That's what I want to hear. That I didn't even fight him as a servant. Servants are hired, slaves are owned. I want to be owned by God. Don't you? Is there a better master? Can we ask for anything better, more glorious? He says, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. In my father's house, there's many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Man, that's the master I want. Build away, Lord. Build away. I want to be your slave. I want to be owned by you. Okay, that's our identity. We're all slaves. Can we agree with that? It's a good thing? All the injustices along the way in human history, that's its own thing. We're not talking about that. We're talking about how good it is to be in the Lord. Okay, number three. Our general and specific calls to serve. So, since we all agree we're all slaves, okay, let's talk about what happens with that. Our general and specific calls to serve. Colossians 3, 22 through 24. It's up here. Slaves in all things, obey those who are masters on earth. Not with external service as those who merely please masters on earth. Not with external service as those who merely please men. But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do, the, do your work heartily as for the Lord. Rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Boy, doesn't that make all the difference when you're talking about serving? When you have the perspective of this, this person I worked for, perhaps, is... Kind of not great on bedside manner. Um, it's okay. I'm not working for them. I'm working for Jesus. He's, he, I don't even have my sights there. Um, you have somebody who's overbearing in your life? Uh, somebody in your family who you wish didn't come to the reunions? <laughs> oh, man, you had car trouble. Darn You're not serving them. It's Lord 
Christ you're serving. You have somebody who complains a lot in your life, you're not serving them. And on and on and on. Isn't that great? He's just like, hey, let's get over this. You're not serving man, you're serving Christ. And when you have that perspective, it makes being a slave really cool. Because then no matter what happens, you're stoked. Right? You're stoked. Jesus sees every single thing you do for the least of these. That's why he went so far as to say, hey, you've done it on the least of things of these, you've done it unto me. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So we can persecute him, I'd rather serve him. Right? I'd rather serve him. Look what I have. Okay. That's a general call to serve. 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let's not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. And in truth. So there's a general call for all of us. We're about being loving our neighbor. So if there's need, especially among believers, we're called to meet those needs. And, we, and I tell you guys, from my perspective, from my kind of little part of this whole thing called the kingdom of God, it is such a blessing to see us as a church continuously respond to needs in generosity. It is such the biggest encouragement to see you guys, to see us come together as a body when there's needs. And, and financial is one thing, but just serving people that are going through it with prayer and encouragement, support, and just saying, I don't even know what to say in this trial you're going through, but I'm here for you. Um, you know, those kind of things are just unbelievably encouraging. But every time we see that happen here, imagine what's going on in heaven, how much rejoicing there is. Not only just sinners being saved, but people just dying to themselves and serving other people as God would want them to. Just a beautiful thing. It shouts great praise for the Lord Jesus when people are able to see that outside the church as well. So there's two types of calling. There's a slave. He's already, always ready to move, always ready to respond. It's just given. So if there's needs and we announce them all the time and you hear it and you're like, well, that's not my calling. That's not my gifting. And it's something like, we need somebody to help set up. I don't know. Um, Alan, our beloved Alan Cushman. You know, he's not here, so I could talk about him all day long. <laughs> but in a good way. That guy, have you, seen, <laughs> have you seen Alan? I'd say probably about, what, 855? It's before he changed. I'm giving all away all his stuff, but it's okay. He's not doing it for himself, so I'll do it. Okay, so this is how great Alan is. This is the guys you just love having around. He has been here, I don't know, at least a couple hours uh, by the time uh, I get here. And he's, he's drenched in sweat. Like, what have you been doing? Running a marathon? What are you doing? Like, you know. But he gets so into it that he's literally, he changes clothes before service starts because he's so into it. Now, I'm not saying, hey, everybody, unless you're sweaty like that, you're not serving the Lord well. Don't give me <laughs> you know. He, he comes up to give me a hug, and I'm like, ah, Okay. Good morning, Alan. But I see the joy in his, in, his, in his expression. You guys know what I'm talking about. Have you guys seen Alan? Go like this if you've seen Alan. Is he ever bummed? Like, oh, I had to serve today. You know, the guy gets it. He's just happy to be here. It's like that scripture, the psalmist. He's like, I'd just rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my Lord. Right? I, don't, I just want to be around what's happening. Well, Alan's the kind of guy like that. And, and again, he's not here, so I can prop him up as much as I want. And he's just a servant. He gets it. He says, I, I'm just here. I'm available. You know, it's like that at his house when he'd go over there for a community group. He's always got the fresh squeezed lemonade that he's picked off his trees that he, on top of his hill. And yeah, I just got him. 
He's not doing it to be seen, but it's just a, it's a great example, I guess I should say. Just those people, you want to be around them, don't you? Isn't it glorifying to God when you see people glorying in the fact that they get to serve? It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. He's totally, I mean, you, you talk about the chairs being set up. If they're not in particular order, like, if I can't see, like, you know, the lines of the chairs in a certain way, you know, I would never notice that. Alan, he's like, that third row. Just needs to be adjusted a little bit, right? It's true. But it's not the service that's most glorifying. It's the joyous expression of, I'm just happy to be here. Jesus is awesome. Man, gives me pump. So there's, there's one. Just respond. Just respond. Get used to responding. If you're here week after week and you do nothing to serve, and I don't just mean like setting up chairs. I mean praying for people or, you know, just being called to just give of your mental attention for a moment in your life or, or, or setting up chairs. It really doesn't matter. If you just come week after week, you're missing such an amazing blessing that's part of every Christian's growth process, which is I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. It should be just the air we breathe. It should be the we're fish and we're in a water tank of serving. The water's the service. We're just the opportunities, right? We're just fish. Like, oh, I'm swimming through all these opportunities. It doesn't matter. You don't... And then there's another calling, which is very specific to how God's gifted you, how the Lord specifically wants to use you and the anointing of the Spirit therein. There's a very specific times where the Holy Spirit moves on a person for a specific op- opportunity to glorify himself. So there's very specific calls, but then there's very general calls. And I think if you're good at the general calling, if you're good at responding, if someone needs a, uh, you know encouraging word and you see a post on Facebook, like life's miserable right now, and you just take the moment to, to reach out to them and say, hey, give me a call if you want. You know, I'm here for you. It doesn't matter what time. You know, you, you're, you're just, you're in that mode of, I'm just a slave and I'm here to serve however the opportunity arises and I'm able to meet that need. And, and, and if you're good in that, in terms of, 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 of uh, when I say good, I don't mean like you're good in of yourself because we just talked about how it requires the Spirit's intervention in your life to be able to get you to a heart position of that. But if you're doing that, then you're ready to go when God says, I have a specific call. My Holy Spirit's going to anoint you. And you're going to do some really cool stuff in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you see, if I was God, now I got your attention. If I was God, I would, I would survey the landscape. And I would see the most attentive eyes on me when I want the special projects done. You know what I mean? Now, I, I'm not saying that's God. That's me. That's how I would survey it. And I would, I, would, I would look for the people that are most accomplished and most good looking. I would look for the Saul's, in other words, right? I would survey and say, where are the Saul's? Where are the attentive people? Where are the faithful people? I'm going to use them for my special CIA projects. Mission Impossible stuff, right? Uh, that's what I would do. But God oftentimes sees the people that aren't really attentive, that I've seen in my own life, be true. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to change you through the process of serving. It's not that I'm trying to find the best qualified. I'm actually involved in you transforming in the process of serving. So just the first step, wait till you see what I'm going to do in your life. And you see these people in your life just kind of transformed the process of serving. Sometimes we feel like we can't even start until we're such and such a Christian level, right? It's like, no, the master is too good at building clay and there's something beautiful. He's like, I got a better plan. How about this? How about we just say we're all slaves, we're ready to go, however you want to use me in whatever capacity. 
as I see needs, I want to be a first responder. I want to be the one running to that need or even the possibility of serving. I want to be doing that and, and, and trust, Lord, that you're going to mold me along the way to make me ultimately glorifying to you in whatever you build. And uh, I can tell you guys, uh, over the years of seeing people come through this church, um, student, family, husband, wife, whatever, the people that serve, that have a heart just ready to go, those are the people that grow the most. We know that, right? You can't be selfish and grow. <laughs> you can't be about your own stuff all the time and grow. It's just, it's not possible. So, it's an encouragement to me as well as to you. Okay. First John 3.16. Moseying through. How are we doing on time? We're doing good. Okay. Uh, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And also we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. We already read this. Never mind. I mean, not never mind. <laughs> okay. Number four. Bible examples of the Spirit anointing a person for a specific ministry. So you have the general call. We're all ready to go as slaves. We have specific things that he asks us to do. That he leads us to be involved with. And here's a few examples where the Holy Spirit, both Old and New Testament, anoint somebody for specific ministry. And I think this is a wonderful, wonderful study that, that obviously we can't get into as, as I'd like to. But I just want to summarize for you. Look at the breadth of areas that the Holy Spirit anoints people for. Read that list. Administration, shepherding, artistry, physical power, healing, exorcisms power, preaching, teaching, service, admin, helps. The Holy Spirit is described in all those situations as coming upon a person in power, and that's the result of people getting served in those various ways. Isn't that encouraging? It doesn't always look like Pastor Brian on Sunday mornings. It doesn't look like necessarily Alan Cushman's sweating as he serves. It's all these different things. Let's, let's just take, a, like Moses and the 70 elders, the first one in Numbers 11. Moses is like complaining to God. And he's like, he's like uh, God, you brought me out here. I'm dying under the weight of all this. I mean, I, I, I can't do this. The people are, it's too much need. And he's like, okay, I'm going to anoint 70 elders to give you help. And they come in and they're starting to organize. You can see, man, can you imagine getting 70 new staff to help you with your current role and position? It's like, hey, it's like this is paradise. You know, I get 70 guys. But it specifically says, I'm going to choose them and I'm going to anoint them with the Holy Spirit. They're reliable, dependable guys, and I'm going to anoint them for this role. So it wasn't the main dude. It wasn't the guy in the, in the, with the, with the um, what are these called? Spotlights. The lights. It's, it's the guys that are going to come. He, God cares that much about the process of how people are organized that he would anoint people for that specific person, purpose, to organize them well. The second one, love this scripture. When I read this in Exodus, when I was a new believer, I got so pumped. I hope it is for you artistic people in our midst. Raise your hand if you consider yourself artistic. God's gifted you in, in areas of art. Okay. Bezalel and Holiab, those guys, turn there real quick. Exodus 31. Exodus 31. The quicker you turn, the more we'll get through. The ark, or, the, or excuse me, the tabernacle is being built. God's given them specific instructions to build the temple, where, or the tabernacle rather, the moving temple. Is the way you could look at it. Um, he's calling people to give and to, and to build, and he's given them specific instructions on how to do it. 
Why? Because it was a precursor. It was, a, it, was a, it was an opportunity to artistically represent the heavens and the reality of the throne of God, where the angels were, where God was. And, and how, do you, how do you get people to understand what that's like? Well, in a way, God used the building, the making of this tabernacle to do that. It's amazing amount of instructions given here. But in chapter 31 of Exodus, and along with all these instructions, he says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold, and to work in silver, and in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. Praise God, huh? It's in the scriptures, so encouraging. And indeed, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle. Guys, these were holy things, holy things. And in order for them to do this under the Lord as he would want, he needed to anoint them with his spirit. And he did. And all gifts of, of workmanship. So you artistic type people, don't look at that as your independent talent to do outside of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Look at it as Holy Spirit, come anoint me so I can do works of artistry that give glory and honor to your name the way you'd want me to. It's not outside. We don't think about it all the time. But here's the Bible saying specifically God had specific plans. And he wanted to anoint them for that specific measure, that they would be involved in actually producing the very meeting place with God and his people. Amazing stuff. Samson, uh, that particular scripture, Judges 14, that's where Samson says the spirit of God came on him and he tore the lion to shreds. Um, so just physical power. Sometimes you just need physical strength. Sometimes you uh, and, and I that, that suffer from different ailments and whatnot, you know, the, the physical strength, you can still pray, Lord, anoint me because I still want to serve you. Some of you like discounted that, where I can't do this, that, and the other because of this, that, and the other. And maybe the Holy Spirit wants to change that or anoint you for, for something amazing. Okay, Jesus, uh, Acts 10, obviously, uh, you, description of him by the apostle, I believe it's Peter. Uh, I could be wrong on that one. But um, anyways, it describes him as, as bringing uh, the, the Holy Spirit, anointing him for these purposes. He walked around and he healed people. He cast out demons and, and exhibited the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostles, the preaching and teaching Turn to Acts 6. I want to give you another little glimpse into what it's like to be anointed by Jesus, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit for glorifying acts of ministry. Acts 6, 1 through 7. I'm almost there. This is a wonderful scripture. Uh, we get deacons, uh, the role of the deacon out of this passage. It says, now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, those are Greeks, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So this is where the church is built uh, in numbers or grown in numbers so dramatically that they're really having some serious issues about people being neglected and, and their health being dependent on that. It says, verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, right, and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, I tell you, that goes right into what I just had said about being ready in the general, right? Seek out the men that are already serving, full of the Holy Spirit, ready to go, and, 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 and bring them to us so that we might give them a specific call that the Lord has intended here. And it says, who we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen and then these other guys it talks about. But look how it describes Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. These other guys. And it says, whom they set before the apostle. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on him. We do a lot of that today, don't we? Laying hands on people. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests were obedient to the faith. Now this situation is the Grecian widows, they were said, when it says we don't need to be waiting tables, it's a reference to the distribution of support or financial support and practical serving. So you have widows that are being neglected on the sheer volume. I mean, they, they put out uh, in their announcement time before the message, right? This is the need, guys. We need somebody to, to make sure that our widows, the Grecian widows, are not neglected. They're not getting what they need, and, and that's not a good thing. And so we're surveying for people full in the Holy Spirit, these men, to come help us with it. And so God anointed them, and they did. And with this particular potential, very much sideways opportunity for the church to go sideways, because you can imagine, hey, you guys consider yourselves better than us. You know, we're Greeks. We're not, in the, we're not in this as you are, potentially, if their widows were being neglected, favoritism. Like, the church could have had a huge split in this possibility, you know, in this particular place in history. But because there were people ready to go, full of the Holy Spirit, it didn't happen, thankfully so. And the Grecian widows were um, cared for. Now, that deacon, it's deaconos in the Greek. That's where you get the word deacon. Those of you wondering... When uh, church roles are, somebody's mentioned as a deacon, it really just means that, that they're serving, they're practical, they're gifted in serving and and helps and making sure that the nuts and bolts of the running of the church helps and that people aren't neglected. And we need need people like that, don't we? Okay, number five. Still doing okay on time. A few more minutes. Help me get through this. Okay, number five. What are some wrong fleshly reasons to serve which are really contrary to the Holy Spirit? Here's just a few that came to mind. There's countless others. But just to throw them out there so you don't get in the same trap, we all are, you know, certain amount of, of uh, vulnerable to these things. But number one is you can't serve to secure a favorable position with God. How about this? How about you just say to yourself right now, I won't serve, okay, to secure a favorable position with God. This seems like a no-brainer, but in a lot of ways, this is exactly how I struggle day after day after day, right? Do you? Anybody else struggle with this? Oh, yeah. You can't do it, so don't try. You're off to the wrong start if you're trying to build a relationship, a bridge between you and God through what you do. it's, It's contrary to grace. Next one, penance. Gosh, I blew it here, so I'm gonna serve here. And then the scales are balanced. Potential. Number three, to move up the ministry ladder. Um, I would say this to people, uh, well, all of us, but in one, one particular case, my wife and I were, were visiting um, some people we hadn't seen for quite a while. 
And um, it was a husband and wife. They're involved in youth ministry for years. And uh, we were asking them how it was going and, and everything. And uh, these aren't people you would know, so I, I'll feel, feel the right to be able to share this. But anyways, the way she phrased how they were doing was interesting to my wife and I. We talked about it much later, and both of us kind of keyed in on it. But the, the statement that was used by her was, um, my husband, you know, he did youth ministry for, you know, eight, nine years, however long it was. And, and he finally got moved up to the um, associate pastor position and, and, and kept talking. And it was like, I was like, oh, you know, I, I knew what that meant and everything like that. And I was happy for him and everything. But, but later on, we were back together and, and it was like hours later. And I go, honey, we were talking to them. Wasn't that kind of interesting the way she phrased it? And I, again, I understand what, it, what she's saying. Is I don't, I'm, I'm not discounting the... The, the, the blessing of that change in ministry, but do you see where that subtlety can creep in there? And I, I don't know her heart. I'm not trying to pretend I do. But the way she phrased it gave me concern that this might be something for her. Guys, Pastor Brian doesn't have the number one important ish, uh, position in this, in this. I'm not number two. Like some people say, hey, how do you feel about being number two? You know what? <laughs> you can give whatever number. I'm just happy to be here, you know. I'm just happy they haven't figured out how horrible I am at this. <laughs> Kick me down to whatever the number is. Guys, we don't, we don't work to get like this, right? Everything's laid out before God on a flat surface, if you will. Use that as an image before you start stacking roles and levels of importance. Do you know, there's no difference. I love it because one of uh, our pastor friends said, you know what, I came to your church and he was talking to Brian. He's like, I came to church, and you got up there, and you're like, hey, I'm Brian. I'm one of the pastors. He goes, do you know I've never heard that before? Do you know Brian does that? I'm taking some of this under it specifically because he, he doesn't want it to be known as, as the Brian Stupar and Sherry show. It's not true. It's not even close to our hearts. It's why? Because everybody is significant. Everybody's got their own calling from the Lord. Everybody, I don't care if you're greeting, helping in the nursery, uh, cleaning up afterwards, or just... Loving on people in your life with expressions of love as you're able to. All of this is, is it's a flat surface. And we're all just side by side. There's no, I, I hope I get up that ministry ladder. Everybody with me? Praise God for that. Because there's only one head, right? One head. He's the only one who moves up. <laughs> He's above us. We're all the body. Okay. To appear spiritual to others. Don't serve to get noticed. To get a date. We kind of, when we throw out the net for children's ministry workers, we say, you want to find your wife, go find her in children's ministry serving. That's tongue in cheek, but don't do it for that reason, right? (laughs) You guys read this book before on being a servant of God? It's a classic, Warren Wearsby. Let me read a quote on that last one, uh, or on that one. He says, uh, one calculated risk Christian workers must take is the possibility of being misunderstood and not appreciated. It happened to Moses, it happened to David, it happened to Jeremiah, Paul, and Jesus. And it will probably happen to you, too. If your only motive for service is to be recognized and thanked, you'd better get prepared for a lot of disappointment. But if your motive is to please God and accomplish His will, what people say and do, or don't say and do, won't make a great deal of difference to you. The praise of God will last forever. Testimonial dinners are soon forgotten. Dude. Don't do it for those reasons. No one else can do it better than me. That's, that's a trap, isn't it? If I don't do it, it's not going to be done well. or not going to do right. La- uh, you know, a couple more. Guilt. You can't serve and get rid of guilt. 
Guilt comes because you go to the Father and you confess. And the Holy Spirit comes and reminds you, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're cleansed. Last one is financial gain. I need the dinero or other perks. Let's let, let those things just kind of settle in your spirit. Last thing, number six. Oh, no, no, not last thing. I had one that I wrote a note on that I didn't make it on the slide. I'll add one last one to that list. Go back, if you would. The last one is pressure from leadership. If you ever feel pressure to serve in this church, you have my permission to reprove Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't going to say that. It was like the Holy Spirit just goes, hey, there's an out here. (laughs) Love my brother. Love my brother. No, don't ever do something because you feel pressure to do it. That is not the spirit leading. That's the flesh leading on the part of your leaders. There's no ranking. There's not guilt. There's no compulsion. Even every Sunday we say this when it comes to giving. If you're a visitor, don't feel a compulsion to give. That's between you and God. It's between you and God. Don't give in to leaders pressuring you. That's not of the Spirit. Let it be something, hopefully, given this way. Hey, would you pray about your role in this? Would you pray about this? Because why? Because we want to make sure it's God-led, not us-led. Hopefully God leads us as he leads you, and needs get met like in Acts 6. Amen? Okay, last thing. Looking into Jesus is a quintessential example. Everybody turn your Bibles, Mark 10. We'll finish with this. Verse 35. This happens to be the theme passage of our family camp. Kind of all summarizes it for me. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Like he didn't know, but he's going to play along. But he doesn't slam them either, which is interesting. He says, They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Uh, be baptized with the baptism, baptism that I'm baptized with. And they said, we are able. Again, he doesn't slam him. He says, so Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it's prepared. And when the ten heard it, these are the other guys, not in this privy to this conversation, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Why do you think that was? Probably not for altruistic motives. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. That's the word deaconos. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave, doulos of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life for ransom for many. Not much to say after that, but just this, that Jesus made a prerequisite. He says, if any of you are going to follow me, let him what? First deny himself, then what? Take up his cross. We we're nowhere next near personal rights, right? Let him first deny himself, 
Holy Spirit has to do that in our lives. Has to give us that victory. Take up this cross. Who wants to do that? That's supernatural stuff. The Holy Spirit has some power to do that. And follow me. Who has that in their flesh to follow him no matter what he calls us to do or leads us? We need the Holy Spirit for that part too, don't we? So the Holy Spirit gets all the glory for us being in a place where we can serve, for as we serve, and the fruits of that service. For the Spirit is there for us in abundance when we are obedient to him. But it all takes the Holy Spirit to be a slave of all. That word, uh, greatest, is like ranking, number one in rank. He's like, it's not going to be that way with you guys. If we do this right, the greatest, you're going to outserve each other to be the slave of all. That's where I want to be. Is that where you want to be? All right, I totally failed. I only got a few nods. <laughs> now, I believe it to be so in our hearts. Our response, worship team is going to come up now. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for serving us in this way, guys. It's a service the Lord uses to greatly allow us to, uh, to enter in the worship of him. It says, worship him. Ask him to empower you to serve those in your life for his glory. Your neighbor could be, you haven't served your wife very well lately or your husband. You haven't served your kids the way you know you need to. Your heart hasn't been in it. Maybe it's your coworkers or friends or um, people in the church. It's whatever it is, however it is, whatever we need to repent of, let's do it together in the presence of the Lord as we worship him. And then you also have um, elements for the, the communion in the back, and there's one station up here. Uh, we take the, the symbol of the body of Christ, being the, the cracker, if you need gluten-free. We actually have that as an option in the back. That's fine. Go back there in the middle. Um, but also, just dip in your cracker into the juice, and, and thereby combining the broken body with the spilled blood symbols there. And then partake as you want to. And, and then you obviously have up here... To, to pray, if you need a heart adjustment, if you just need to worship God on your knees, this rug's up here for that. And then we also have prayer over here to the side if you need prayer. If, if God's spoken to you, there's anything you need to pray, then we have people there. If you need healing, physical healing, we can anoint you with oil over there, uh, whatever it may be, okay? So why don't we all stand together? get your kids come back in they're welcome to come back in the sanctuary and uh let's just pray father god thank you that um, you've outserved us in every way we can ever serve you it doesn't even come close the fact that you loved us first you served us first you called out to us first you gave us vision to see first everything that we do god may it be glorifying you with the holy spirit's empowerment you might help us serve with every ounce of passion that you would desire, every uh, right motive, everything being in place as it should to simply die to ourselves. We know we can't have that happen on a daily basis and take up our cross daily without you intervening on, in power in our lives. So do that for us. Lord, I pray that this church would not have any needs. I pray that we would have plenty of help for Alan. I pray that we'd have plenty of help in the nursery. I pray that we'd have plenty of help for things like family camp. And all those things may be so. But Lord, move regardless. Lord, let us be vessels of life and love to those around us as we have the opportunity to do so. And Lord, we know that sin is to do the wrong things. We also know it's to not do the right things. So we pray that you would just forgive us for those things that hinder us and allow us to worship you now and uh, respond to your conviction in Jesus' name.